Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I'm super pumped. This is a very special day for us here because we have hit a milestone. This is our 100th Church Leaders Podcast episode. And so not only do we have a great guest today with much inspiring and practical wisdom to share with you, I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. But to celebrate, we also have two great giveaways that two of our listeners are going to win. And uh, the first comes from our friends at Outreach, and they're going to be giving away a one-year subscription to Social Reach Daily. And if you haven't seen this, it's an awesome product and service that makes social media ministry easy for your church, uh, your organization, or your, your ministry. So basically, professionally designed graphics are posted every day to your church or organization's Facebook page. It not only keeps the content fresh and keeps it current, but it also, it's very cool, it allows your people to really become digital missionaries in a way. And they can share your church or your organization across their Facebook friendships. So very awesome. You can learn more about that at socialreachdaily.com. So one of our listeners will receive an entire year of Social Reach Daily, um, these graphics being posted every single day. Uh, The other giveaway is coming from our friends at SermonCentral.com. This is an annual subscription that we'll be giving to their popular ministry tool, Sermon Central Pro. If you're not familiar with Sermon Central Pro, it gives you access to over 1,000 video illustrations, over 850 templates for your slide deck, whether it's PowerPoint or, or Keynote, over 120 worship music videos, over 40 countdown or service starters, over 350 motion backgrounds, access to top-rated illustrations that you can use in your sermons, a lectionary calendar, sermon search you can use, so many other things, just tons of things available, a great tool. And so SermonCentral.com is giving away this one-year subscription to Sermon Central Pro. Very, very cool. So you probably want to know, how can you win one of these great giveaways? All you need to do is subscribe to the Church Leaders Podcast, to this podcast if you're not already subscribed, and then leave us a review on iTunes. And you have until May 31st, 2017 to subscribe and leave a review. And then we're going to randomly select two listeners. One will receive that free year of Social Reach Daily, and the other will receive a free year of Sermon Central Pro. So it's pretty awesome. It's a great way to celebrate episode 100. We're excited to be giving those away. And to continue this awesome theme, on this 100th episode, I get to sit down with Pastor Derwin Gray where he really shoots straight with us about leadership, about the gospel, uh, about the importance of the multi-ethnic church. And he shares with us his take on why Sunday morning is still the most segregated time of the week. So some great stuff. Derwin is the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church in Indian Land, South Carolina, which is just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. He, his wife Vicki, and a small team of committed Christ followers planted Transformation Church in January of 2010. And it is now one of the fastest growing churches in America, as reported by Outreach Magazine. Some of you might know Derwin as the evangelism linebacker. Um, If you know what I'm talking about, then you know exactly who he is. Um, He played professional football, actually, in the NFL for six years. And I know that you're going to be inspired and you're going to be challenged by what he has to share today. So I invite you to listen in as I talk with Pastor Derwin Gray. Derwin, it's uh, so good to have you with us on our Church Leaders Podcast. We certainly appreciate you taking the time and look forward to um, hearing what you have to share with our audience. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor for me to uh, to be with you guys. Um, I don't 
I don't take that lightly, so I pray that uh, I would be beneficial to God's people. Well, I'm confident, Derwin, that our listeners will not only enjoy what you have to share today, but also will be challenged in a positive way as, as they're seeking to develop as church leaders. Now, most people are aware that you play professional football in the NFL, drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. You're with them for five years. Then your final year, you're with the Carolina Panthers. And as you reflect back on all that it took for you you know, to play D1 college ball at BYU, to uh, get into the NFL, to play six years in the NFL, as you, as you kind of reflect on all that, what lessons did you learn during those years that have impacted how you serve as a church planter and a pastor? Yeah, you know, in God's providence, uh, being a former professional athlete and playing in the NFL, my greatest leadership lessons that I learned practically came through coaches. Uh, my my high school coach, who is uh, in the Texas Football High School Hall of Fame, he was an incredible visionary. And he could paint pictures with words that made you believe that that vision was attainable. Um, he just, just inspired us. And then in college, Lavelle Edwards at BYU, who was also in the College Football Hall of Fame, was great at delegation. He would hire great assistant coaches to implement the vision and values of the team, and then he would let them coach. And then Dom Capers, who was my head coach with the Carolina Panthers, was was really, really good at time management and organization and meticulous details. And my coach with the Indianapolis Colts, Ted Marcha Broda, was, was very caring, very compassionate, very loving. And so there was so much that I learned from my NFL experience and college and high school experience of playing football about leadership that I've been able to, by God's grace, transfer over into serving uh, Transformation Church. Yeah, I love how God takes our stories and our experiences like you've shared and, and sort of channels them into a way to impact the kingdom. Now, God has brought some great minds and compassionate hearts together in your leadership team there at Transformation Church. So as a lead pastor, how do you keep your leadership team developing and and growing and moving forward together? I think the first thing is the more that we can be gospel people, meaning uh, there's a new king who is the Lord who rose from the dead, and through his epic work, he forms a people who are redeemed who are filled with the spirit, who are justified and and who are reconciled and who are gifted. And, and so for us to realize that first and foremost, we are the people of God who are called to the mission of God. And so as a local church, our vision of the great commandment and the great commission keeps us unified. You know, it keeps us aligned to the assignment, you know, in football, you have alignment and assignment. Well, in the church, you have alignment to the vision and the assignment as God's royal priest. And so making sure that vision and values is first and foremost embodied, but it's also taught over and over and over and over again. Like you don't move beyond the vision and values and specifically the macro picture of great commandment, great commission, And then you start getting into the details of, well, what does that mean for us as a staff to live that out? And the first thing is um, a culture where it's normative to walk in the fruit of the spirit, that we don't avoid conflict, 
that we go into the conflict with gospel, that we don't treat people based on what they produce. We treat people based on what Christ has done for them. And, and so vision and values is something that has to be embodied by the core leaders, and then it has to be replicated through the rest of the staff and then ultimately into the church. And so that takes strategy, that takes prayer, that takes intentionality as well. Yeah, prayer and being intentional are definitely vital. And you mentioned the importance of understanding and embracing the core values. You've also written and taught on the difference between ministry skills and character. So how do you address this distinction with the leaders that you are developing today? I think that too often the church, just like the world, we get enamored with gifts. Mm. What I often say to our staff and to other pastors that I'm pouring into is that our gifting should always be running behind our character, trying to catch up. But may our character always be ahead of our gifting because a gifted person with no character is a tyrant. Mm. And so I think that we've seen even in the recent times, I mean, it just seems to be like every other month we see a pastor falling and, and that's just lead pastors. So imagine what it is for the rest of the, of the, of the staff. And I, I think the Western church is so enamored with how gifted is the person that we don't look that when you look at the requirements for an elder pastor in first Timothy three, one through seven, I believe. But the idea of the qualifications for an elder pastor, there's only one gifting, and that's the gift to teach. Everything else is character-based. And so uh, I have a burden and a longing for the church not to be just filled with entrepreneurs that can pull off a weekend service, but really godly people flowing from the very heart of God, walking in the power of the Spirit, reproducing the life of Christ, that we're actually— a healthy, loving, fruit-bearing people because of God's grace. And very rarely do I talk to pastors and they want to talk about soul care or being healthy. It's how do you grow a church? You know, if I hear one more time, how creative are your services? I'm going to, I'm going to choke myself because (laughs) um, being creative is putting a towel around your waist and serving people. Being creative is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. A laser light show is not necessarily creative. That's more like copying the world. Now, I'm not saying nothing's wrong with laser lights, but when your greatest desire is to be creative but not holy, that's a problem. Yeah, that's so good because I think sometimes, you know, temptation is to get caught up in what what is looking really good or what's sounding really good as opposed to be focusing in on what is holy and what is pure and and what is true. So and Derwin, as you were as you were saying that, I was thinking about our listeners. You know, our listeners are pastors and ministry leaders and it made them faithfully week in and week out. They're leading their churches. They're serving Christ. They're, you know, leading their people, reaching into their neighborhoods and loving their neighbors. What encouragement do you have for pastors? Yeah, the first thing is I would say is that you're a beloved child of God wrapped in the covenantal promises that God gave to Abraham and that your worth and your significance and your value 
is found in him, and God calls you to be faithful and fruitful according to the measure of your giftedness and your calling. And then the second thing that I would say is the average church in the United States of America is well below 200 people in attendance. Right. So let me, this is kind of a soapbox that I've been on and, and, you know, it's very difficult when you go to a conference and there's pastors speaking and the pastors get up and say, well, it's not about the numbers yet. Every pastor that speaks at the conference, their numbers are huge. Right. You know, the reality is, and, 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 and I just want to use this as an example. If transformation church was not one of the fastest growing churches in America for the last four out of six years, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And so what I want to say is we need more conferences for pastors of churches that are 200, that are that are 80, that are 150, that are that are 300, because if only pastors of churches that are over 2000 or whatever get up to speak, that's creating an illusion that most churches are not going to be able to obtain because sometimes it's geography, sometimes it's gifting, and sometimes it's um, people aren't being taught the word of God. They're being taught the prosperity gospel. They're being taught self-help. And so I just want to tell the pastors out there, don't look to the left, don't look to the right. Look at the blessing that's clearly in sight. Be as faithful as you can be pray bold prayers, ask God to do the unimaginable and trust him and trust him with the results. You're called to be faithful and he will bear fruit. And, um, you know, so I got a little bit of a bone to pick that um, oftentimes it's just guys like me that speak at a conference when the majority of pe people at the conference may never have a church of four or 5,000, but they can be faithful and bear much fruit with a church of 75. And so we need pastors like that to be encouraged. Now, thirdly, master your craft and sharpen your skills. Like we are called to grow. So so we are called to learn. Like I'm called to learn to exegete the text. I'm, I'm called to shepherd. I'm called to lead. I'm called to do a lot of things but I have to be faithful to that calling and not compare myself to someone else. So reach your redemptive potential as a local pastor. And if 300 is what you're called to reach and the shepherd be the most faithful 300 that you can be, mobilize your people to witness and to worship. And um, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Living into your calling, serving faithfully, trusting God, with the fruit. That's some great encouragement. Now, Doran, anyone who knows you knows that you are absolutely passionate about the multi-ethnic church and the value of the multi-ethnic church in our world. Your book, The High Definition Leader, is all about, you know, focuses in on this idea of building multi-ethnic churches in our multi-ethnic world. You pastor an amazing multi-ethnic church. You coach pastors on planting and developing multi-ethnic churches. And yet we sit here and it's said that Sunday morning remains the most segregated time of the week here in the U.S. And the stat's been around for a long time, and it's said that it's still very, very true. So why do you think that is the case? Uh, let me just be blunt, uh, because we don't know the gospel. Mm. 
Now, some people are going to take offense to it, so I'm going to let that just seep in your soul just a little bit. If you interpret the gospel as, okay, everybody done bad, we pretty much deserve to go to hell, Jesus stepped in our place, we don't go to hell, believe in him, you have eternal life. Well, that's like a fraction of it. There's so much greater. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little passionate here and, and just say God is faithful to his covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Abraham, through you, all of the nations would be blessed. Eventually, that leads to the nation of Israel, which leads to the Messiah, who's the seed of Abraham. And through Abraham, Jesus comes, and through his life, death, resurrection, there's forgiveness of sins, there's justification, there's reconciliation, there's regeneration, there's the sending of the Spirit all so that God can be faithful to his covenant with Abraham, which is Jews and Gentiles will become one body. And this Jew and Gentile multi-ethnic church would give a picture, big word going to come here, an eschatological foretaste of what eternity will be. Revelation 5.9, every nation, tribe, and tongue adoring Jesus. That picture of the future is to be a picture of the present as a witness and a form of worship to the world, what reconciliation and love looks like. Let me add this. The New Testament knows nothing of a homogeneous church. It knows nothing of it. The whole issue in the Bible, in the New Testament, was how do Gentiles get included into the Jewish family of God? That was the whole issue. Was it by works of the Torah, circumcision, festivals, or was it by grace in the Lord J Jesus Christ? Paul says that through Jesus, Jews and Gentiles become one new man, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, that together in one body. And so the church is to be a community of not only of redemption, but reconciliation, which leads to a cross. Vertically, we're reconciled to God. Horizontally, we're reconciled across ethnic class and gender barriers. That was the story of the gospel, that God's people now were not just Jews, but everybody. So the task of the preacher now is to take these uh, these terms, Jew and Gentile, and apply it to the various ethnicities that are around our context, because people of different ethnicities do a great job of setting up barriers. There's racism or ethno centrism, there's classism, there's sexism. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female, because we're all one in Christ. And in verse 29 says uh, uh, that we are Abraham's children going back to the covenant. And what's sad is we're not taught that in seminary. I've learned this after seminary and in my doctoral work that our understanding of the gospel is on life support. It's anemic. That's good. So a return to the heart of the gospel is what you're saying is, is really needed. To embracing the reality of the early church where everyone understood that through Christ's death and through his resurrection, he tore down these walls of division. So Durham, what would you suggest to a pastor who, say, catches this vision and is looking for some practical ways to begin leading into 
this idea of multi-ethnic ministry. Practically speaking, what would you suggest? Yeah, well, the first thing that I would say is don't get to the practical too fast because if the theological and ecclesiological is not rooted in your soul, when the strong winds come of resistance, your roots won't be deep enough. So I can tell you all the practices to do, but then when black people start saying, well, you can't trust white folks and white people begin to go, well, you know, you can't, uh, uh, you know, whatever other stereotypes that we want to have across ethnicity, we run too fast to the practical mm. when our wills need to be changed. When wow. your will is cemented and rooted in the understanding of what the holistic gospel is, your practices will come out of it. And, and so the first thing that I would say is, right, okay, so you need to bathe and soak yourself in understanding this. That's one. Now, as it pertains to practice, your leadership team must be multi-ethnic, and you see this in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 13 as biblical ideas. That is that is so important. So even in within the multi-ethnic church movement, you'll have churches that are ethnically diverse and their staff is 99% white. Uh, I call that a plantation mm. uh, because plantations during slavery days were very ethnically diverse. It's just that the black pe people were slaves. So if you want to really be a multi-ethnic church, then it must be reflected in the structures of power of the church to give influence. Secondly, it is super, super important that you have cross-cultural competency. Cross-cultural competency means you take the time to learn someone else's story. And then also, not all Latino people are the same. Cubans are different than Dominicans. Puerto Ricans are different than Mexicans. And even within the black context, not all black folks are the same. The black guys that I met from L.A. in college didn't fish. I questioned their blackness. <laughs> like, how do you not? I'm a black dude from Texas and you don't fish. And not all Caucasian folks are the same. My friend gr growing up is, a, is an Italian from Queens. He's much different than South Carolina Caucasian folks, okay? And so it's important that the gospel is like learning to listen to someone else's story and put on their shoes. One of the things that has helped me as a multi-ethnic church planner is being a black male, right? My whole life has had to revolve around listening to the narrative of the dominant culture, or I wouldn't have been able to survive. Now, here's something to throw into the mix. I took a DNA test, and I'm 75% basically West African and 22% European. Wow. How about that? <laughs> Just like that girl said, how about that? Cash me outside. How about that? <laughs> So, but my point is cross-cultural competency is so important. And then that even uh, moves into politics because Caucasians and African-Americans, particularly evangelical black folks and African-Americans and Latinos see politics from a vastly different world, even though we read the same Bible. What happens is, is when we are not in community, we talk past each other, not to each other. And I believe it's a tremendous stronghold of the evil one. 
Wow, that's so good. And, and, and so, yeah, cross, cross-cultural competency is really, really important. Okay, but I have a question. As you're sharpening this cross-cultural competency, as a pastor, are you ministering in specific ways to the specific ethnic groups within the church? Or are you um, ministering to the whole church in one kind of united and consistent way? Okay, so you have a cultural sensitivity, right? And you bring all the cultures in alignment to the gospel. Awesome, I love that. And it that. doesn't make you colorblind; it makes you color blessed. Awesome. It doesn't make you deny who you are; it enhances who you are, and we celebrate who all of us are. That is so good, so good. And so often, what happens is, is people will go, "Well, I'm colorblind." So let me come at it from this perspective. I get the sentiment of it, and it's very nice. But to be colorblind is a theological issue to say, God, you made different colors and different cultures, and I'm blind to them. Mm. I don't want you to be blind to my color and my culture. I want you to embrace it, to celebrate it in light of Jesus's redemption, and I'll do the same for you. And what happens is— I become better because of your difference and you become better because of my difference. And together, our oneness in Christ enhances the kingdom of God. And that's the whole idea that the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter two, when he says that Jews and Gentiles become the new temple of God. That's good. So because the idea of uh, I understand what you're saying, the idea of colorblindness, it kind of is almost dismissive. It takes away the beauty of that diversity. Whereas yes. we come together and we celebrate the color blessedness, if you said, that, that, that the blessing of being called together as Christ followers, where, where we can celebrate the differences that we bring together. And together with those differences, we can reflect the beauty of, of Christ who has given his life for every man, every woman, every child. Yes. And, and, and so I want my viewers to hear this with love and encouragement. Most of the time when people say I'm colorblind, they are the same people who've never had their color be a disadvantage for them. Mm. And so for Latinos, African-Americans, I can't really speak for Asians, but for Latinos and African-Americans, and and I, I suspect for Asians, we don't want you to be blind to our ethnicity and our culture. We want you to learn from it just as just as we learn from yours. You feel me? Right. And, and so, and that's what makes the church incredibly beautiful. And a part of my quest and authors like Scott McKnight and N.T. Wright, uh, the book that I've written, this isn't anything new that I'm saying. It's just that we as the Western church coming out of the Reformation, we just read right over it. Like, like for example, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read Galatians three thirteen, and it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And look what verse 14 says. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of spirit through faith. Like we don't even ever teach that. Like, hold on a second. Jesus redeemed us, became a curse so that the Gentiles... Hmm. could become children of Abraham? 
as Protestants, we, we don't even preach that. We don't even go to verse 14. The work of Christ that on that tree, on that cross, not only does he forgive sins, but he creates a new people, a blood-bought multi-ethnic people who join God on his mission through worship and witness. That's beautiful, brother. And uh, you're right. That's one of those things that we tend to um, kind of skip over, a gloss over maybe, and, and not really kind of come pointedly to. So appreciate you bringing that up and, and sharing that verse specifically with us. And here's the crooks of the gospel, that God made a covenant with Abraham, and Jesus is the one who ratifies the covenant with him. And the covenant he made with, with Abraham is all ethnos would be blessed. And so in a big picture, some people listening will go, well, we are God's people, but we don't have to worship together. My question is, how do you know you actually love someone if you're not in community with them? Oh, yeah. Like, how do you actually know as a black per person you love a Latino or Asian or Caucasian unless they want to marry your black daughter? Right. Hello. Yeah. In the words like we used to say in San Antonio, holla if you hear me. <laughs> well, That's when we start doing real gospel work, you know, do on earth as it is in heaven. So what I'm proposing is not only do you get all the glorious work of the cross and the resurrection, you get more. And that reminds us that our life in Christ is not solely a, a personalized, individualized kind of me and Jesus idea, um, which we often cling to. But there is this realization that we are the community of Christ, right? It reminds us of the we, not just the me. Totally. And what I would add to that is that you know, the term personal relationship, I get it, the sentiment, but Jesus offers us a new covenant, which is better than a personal relationship. A new covenant means that the Father through the Christ, through the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, brings me into the Abraham of family, and he's done all the heavy lifting, the forgiving, the reconciling, the regenerating, the justifying, the sealing and filling of the Spirit. All we got to do is trust him. A covenant is so much better than a personal relationship. And, you know, even the term personal relationship with Jesus. No, he brings us into a covenant with Jesus and with Jesus's people. Yeah. Man, I'm about to pass the plate up in here. <laughs> That's good preaching, brother. That's all right. That's good. That's good. Derwin, thank you so much for giving us all some, some meaningful biblical truth to really wrestle with today. It's good, I think, for all of us in ministry leadership to really spend time seeking to truly understand, you know, what does it mean for us to reflect uh, the beauty and the diversity of God's people as we meet in our local churches, you know, all nations, all ethnicities, all tribes. Yeah. And what I would say is, and I know what you mean, is that like we don't meet in the local church, we meet as the local church, and then we scatter as the local church, which is a part of God's universal church. And so what I would encourage uh, listeners to do, if they'd like to learn more, uh, my book, The High Definition Leader, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World, is a great place to start. I want to encourage you to go to DerwinLGray.com and look up the roundtable. We keep our roundtable small 
anywhere from 25 to 30. We don't want a large conference. We, we want an intimate face-to-face -face time of, of learning the theology of a multi-ethnic church and also the practices. And then the last thing I would say is tune in uh, and get our app at transformationchurch.tc and see how um, I preach uh, by God's grace, to build a multi-ethnic church. Because we as the church are to be a foretaste of eternity. We as the church are to be a tutor to the world to say, this is what love looks like across ethnic, social, economic, and gender barriers as we go about our sacred vocations of bringing glory to Jesus. That's awesome, brother. And um, just real quick on those roundtables, do you do you do those, what, twi twice a year, like a spring twice and fall? Twice a year, okay. yep, in the spring and fall. And so we have openings for the fall now, and they fill up fast. And once again, like we could have several hundred here, but we want anywhere from 25 to 30. Uh, pastors, bring your spouses, please, because my wife ministers to uh, uh, the w w women as well. So uh, please, please, please come. Amen. Derwin, it's been so good to have you with us today. Really, uh, just thank you for giving us some great insights that can really lead to some, I think, meaningful conversations that lead pastors can have with their staff pastors and with other ministry leaders. Um, I, I just really think you've given us a lot to consider, a lot to, to kind of chew on and wrestle with and think through. We will, incidentally, have in our show notes, we're going to have links to your book, Derwin, The High Definition Leader. We'll also have links to your website so that people can learn more about the High Definition Leader roundtables uh, that you're talking about. But again, brother, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you. I appreciate all that you're doing, all that God's doing through you. And uh, it's, it's just been a joy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. And uh, church leaders have been good to me, and it's great to be able to, uh, to serve you guys. Thank you. Thank you, brother. God bless you. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this milestone, this uh, 100th Church Leaders podcast episode. And we, we certainly hope you're finding value from what we have to share every single week. And again, don't forget, we are giving away um, two special prizes uh, to two of our listeners, a year subscription to Social Reach Daily and a year subscription to Sermon Central Pro. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And then jump on iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders like you more easily find our podcast. And we certainly appreciate that um, so they can benefit from our great guests just as, as you have. So I just want to thank you in advance again for um, being our listeners and supporting our podcast. We certainly appreciate that. And uh, reaching the 100th episode, we're excited for for many more to come. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.